story brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories. I'm your host, John IT. And today my guest is Morgan McCarver. Morgan's a multi-award-winning ceramic artist, small business owner, and author of the book, God the Artist, Revealing God's Creative Side Through Pottery, an inspirational account of the aspects of pottery and how it is referenced in the Bible. Morgan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here. So how did you get into pottery in the first place? What made you pursue that as a career? That is a great question, and it's not what you would think, honestly. I've always wanted a creative outlet in my life, and for a while that was playing with Play-Doh with my grandmother, different things like that growing up. And then I really got into competitive dance as I got older, and that was just my passion. I was at the top of my game athletically. I really was having a blast competing. And all of that really came crashing down and was taken away from me in a way when I had scoliosis surgery. So I was 14 years old and I had a massive spinal fusion surgery. Basically, my spine wasn't growing straight. And so they fused it with two rods and about 18 screws. And so I needed a creative outlet while I was healing. It was about a year-long recovery, and my mom signed me up for a pottery class, and as they say, the rest is history. Yeah, it's funny how God orchestrates different things in our life, you know, struggles and challenges and so on, using the pottery theme to kind of mold us and, you know, shape us towards what He really wants us to do. So how much was faith a part of your, your life? Was that something that was always there, or did that come about because of your injury? It was always there. I was raised in a Christian home. I'm originally from South Carolina and the United States. It's kind of the Bible Belt, which doesn't mean as much these days as it used to, of course. But still, I was raised in a Christian home, and so I had a great background in that through my grandparents and through my parents. And I gave my heart to Jesus when I was about seven or eight years old. And I don't remember too much about that. I remember being baptized. I remember going up to the front to tell the pastor. But other than that, basically, my faith was just what my parents kind of took me to and I didn't complain. I was a child at the time. So whatever they drove me to, I did. But my faith really started to become real to me. And I started praying and having that personal relationship with God when I had that surgery, um, because that was very scary. And so honestly, I was praying to not have the surgery. I knew that I was going to have to have it for almost a year beforehand. And all during that time, I was just begging God to take that cup away from me, so to speak. So how did that challenge your faith? Did that really kind of squeeze you in a tough way to accept the path that God have, was going to let you go through this surgery? I would say so. I know a lot of people become angry and turn away from God and things like this. And thankfully, that wasn't really my case. I had a really strong church group that was encouraging me. I knew a lot of people were praying for me. So when I realized that I was going to have to have that surgery, I was praying until pre-op. You go in about three days before to kind of make sure everything's going well. And when that happened, I was like, well, you know, Lord, I guess this is happening. And so my prayers really switched to help me get through this, um, help the surgery go well, help there not be any complications. But after that, there was a year-long recovery where I couldn't bend or twist or pick anything up. That was over 10 pounds. I couldn't jump or run or do anything that teenagers love to do, of course, especially dancing competitively. That was like my life. 
And so that was really hard. I would say that my faith probably wasn't as strong during that part. I didn't necessarily blame God because as I was praying before the surgery, I had been wearing a back brace for about three years trying to correct the curve. And all that time I was praying, Lord, like, let this brace work. Please just use the brace to correct my spine or hold it in place. And I didn't realize it at the time. I think I was too young in my spiritual life to really understand. But I would hear this voice saying, you know, that's not your story. The story wouldn't be as good enough if that was the end of it. And I was thinking like, these are crazy thoughts. You know, this can't be real. But looking back, I truly believe that was the Holy Spirit kind of preparing my heart for what was to come. And that year was definitely very hard. But moving forward, it did get easier. But I really wasn't able to see God's grace and his hand in all of it until over a decade later. Yeah, and I think that's so true because we we tend to see things in a very narrow point of vision and the things that are right at hand, we can't see the long-term effects and journey and story and testimony and opportunity that God's going to give us at the time that we're going through something. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. I would agree with that. And I think part of that too is I was so focused on what I lost during that time. And still, I am not able to bend or twist my back. My spine is fused solid pretty much. And that's just how it will be for the rest of my life. You know, the loss of my physical movements and just different things that I was completely missing. You know, body image is hard for teenagers, especially teenage girls. And then on top of that, having this body that doesn't look like everybody else's or move like everybody else's, all of these things. I think I was so focused on all of these things that I found as my identity, being a dancer and having this body and then no longer being able to use it like I could. I think that's where my focus was instead of really focusing on God and everything he was allowing me to do. And he allowed the surgery to go well. But of course, I'm focusing on the negative aspects at the time. I think it's important what you just said there about identity, because we live in a world where it's very self-centered. And it's very focused on the outward appearance, so on and so on and so on. And yet we need to really find our identity in Christ. So when you started to really understand this new identity, that it wasn't going to be as a dancer or maybe a professional dancer or something like that, but when you started to understand your new identity in Christ, what impact did that have on your life? And how did that progress to where you are now? That's a good question. Well, I started with that one pottery camp for kids over the summer, fell in love with it, and really just started pursuing that as a creative outlet, as a means of expression. I was able to get the flexibility in the clay that I couldn't get out of my physical body, so there was some freedom in that. Just the relationship between me as an artist and the clay, I was really kind of diving into that. And at the time, I was really just honing those technical skills and learning as much as possible. And then when it became time for me to graduate and start looking at colleges, that's when I started thinking, like, what could I do? What could I do with pottery? And it really has just been me relying on the Lord. I originally was going to go to college for art therapy or art education. And through different circumstances, I ended up going for ceramics. And, you know, all leading up and all four years of college, people would say, what are you going to do with that? Oh, that's so interesting. You're just <laughs> playing around. And of course, you know, it's a rigorous program, just like any other major in college. You're studying, you're having critiques, your peers are judging your work. It's not just a professor grading a paper. And so there's things that I'm learning all through those four years. And I'm constantly trying to think about connecting pottery to my faith, to helping others, to what can I do with this? Just kind of thinking of different outlets. And that's really when I started to notice 
this, all of these Bible verses that talk about mm-hmm. pottery. And upon graduation, I was looking for a devotional because I was losing that community. You know, when you graduate college and you're in the real world, so to speak, you've lost all of that community that you've had. And my professors were so good about talking about our faith constantly, connecting it back to our work. And so I knew I was about to lose that. So I was looking for a devotional specifically for pottery, referencing Bible verses, and couldn't find what I was looking for. And at that point, the Holy Spirit really encouraged me to start taking notes. And I had never read the Bible all the way through. So I started reading the Bible all the way through and really kind of compiling the things that would later become God the artist. There are definitely a lot of references in the Bible to God being the potter and we're the clay, you know? Yes. As you started to understand that, I'm sure that that kind of shed some light on your past experiences, you know, through your surgery and your life and where it led to reflect on seeing his hand shaping you towards his plan and purpose for your life. I think so. I think that a lot of people say pottery is therapy. When it becomes a business, it's less therapeutic in a way. But I think I really was able to find, in a way, a sort of healing through the writing process, actually. Just kind of recognizing that I wouldn't have this knowledge and this ceramic background if I hadn't had that surgery and gone into that class. You know, who knows what I could be doing now. And just recognizing that the Lord shaped my path to be that specific path. And I could have found pottery in another way. I might not, you know, have had to have the surgery and still discovered ceramics. But the story that I have just elevates the Lord's presence in my life because, you know, with a fused spine, it doesn't lend itself to pottery, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. There are things in the studio that I'm not able to do. And so it reminds me of the verse of God showing up in our moments of weakness and we are able to give him glory because of our weakness. So I'm constantly reminded of that. the studio of things that I can't do or different things that I have to accommodate for to be able to get the pieces that I want based on what I'm able to do and my limitations. I'm constantly reminded of God just showing up and, you know, it's his power. And this is such a crazy story that it can only come from him. So just constantly being reminded of all of those things, I think really helps me recognize his presence throughout my story and to just give him the glory for that. Yeah. And he tells us that he won't share his glory with anybody. Right. So it's important for us to understand and for listeners to understand, you know, if if they're chasing a dream and they're trying to be that rich, famous, whoever, God's not willing to share his glory with anybody. And, you know, he tells us that judgment begins at the house of God, right? So you're starting to see more and more of that in these days as we approach the return of our Lord, that he's starting to shake things, you know, and he's starting to shake churches and and ministers and ministries and all those other things, because potentially there's issues where they're trying to steal some of his glory. I'm not saying that about any particular one. I'm just saying there's a lot of shaking going on right now. So it's, it's really important, as you've said, to recognize in our weakness, he is strong and to rely on that because as the days get darker, we really need to clearly understand his strength and hear his voice because without that, we could easily be deceived or led astray. I'm glad you brought that up because like I mentioned, I grew up in a very safe town in in South Carolina. And basically you just assumed everyone was Christian growing up. I went to a Christian school as well. And it is almost backwards. It's crazy how Satan is able to really hone in on that complacency of feeling everyone's a Christian. We don't need to talk about it. And it's such a bizarre situation that you don't realize you're falling into until you're out of it. And now I'm in Asheville, North Carolina, which 
if you know anything about Asheville, it's technically in the Bible Belt because it is in the South, but it is not advertised as Christian, I guess is a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of experimental things going on, a lot of acceptance for pretty much anything. And it's amazing to see when I moved here a little over two years ago now, I was able to see spiritual warfare really for the first time and able to recognize who the true Christians are. Because if you are following Jesus in this town, you really need to be committed to following Jesus. It's not like, oh, everyone goes to church on the Sunday. So, you know, that's just what you do. There's nothing else on Sunday. Everything else is closed, kind of like the town I grew up in. There's so much to do on a Sunday morning. So if you're making the decision to go to church, there's so much spiritual warfare in just getting to church. But I really enjoy being here in this environment because I'm able to see the black and white so much more clearly and to recognize, like you said, the end times are near and it makes me happy. Of course, it makes me a little bit hesitant, but it's amazing to think like this could happen in my lifetime and I could like witness this that we've been hoping for for centuries. Yeah, it's really important, you know, what you said about standing up for God and truly representing him in this day and age. The Bible tells us when the enemy comes in like a flood, that God's going to raise up a standard against them. And it's so important that those who are listening to our show right now, you need to understand that there is no room for complacency in your life right now. It's all or nothing, as you said, Morgan, 100% in for Christ and nothing else. We can't walk that line of indifference, if you want to call it that, by name only. As you said, there are many that are nominal Christians, and they may be surprised, you know, when that day comes. And that's the wrong time to find out. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I was talking to a friend about this, honestly, just a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking about the rapture. And like, once that happens, like, how could people not know that it was God? And then like, the Holy Spirit just kind of spoke to me and was like, you know, because there are going to be some people who say that they're Christian, and they're still here. And there are going to be some people who have never pronounced their Christian faith out loud, and they won't be here. And that really hit me hard, honestly. And it really encouraged me in the mission to spread the gospel, encourage people in the faith, and talk to my friends about serious issues, because you never know. You never know when it's coming. And you never know who God's going to bring across your path either. You know, exactly. there may be somebody come into your store looking at some pottery and why did you design it this way? And it gives you opportunity as a believer and as an artist to talk about the creativity of God represented through your work. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great point. So what would be some of the main reflections that you would think that he represents that way? Probably the most common example that people are familiar with in the Bible is Jeremiah 18, when the prophet Jeremiah goes to the potter's house and he sees that there's a potter throwing on the pottery wheel and then the piece messes up and falls to the wheel head and the potter takes the clay off the wheel, reworks it and throws a new vessel. And that is just a very, very clear-cut example of how God works in our lives. Because just like my life, I thought it was going one way. I thought I was going to be a dancer all through high school and maybe longer. And, you know, that's not what happened. So in a way, my life kind of crumbled like that pot did. And I think it's important and I think it gets overlooked sometimes, but the potter reworks that clay. He doesn't just stick it right back on the wheel and go again. There's a process of, it's called wedging, actually. It's an idea of kneading dough, but instead of adding 
adding air, you're actually taking air out of the clay. So you're trying to make a homogenous piece of clay, even out the water content, get all the air bubbles, just kind of work that clay back into a nice ball that you can throw on the wheel. And that to me was that 10 year period where I was not comfortable talking about my surgery. I didn't want people to know. I tried to hide that part of my life. And God really was reworking my life in that way. I was learning things about ceramics that I didn't know before. I was strengthening my craft, but he was also working on my heart and my faith in that way. So that at the end of that decade, so to speak, I kind of came out on the other side of it and was able to look back and recognize that God had made me into that new vessel, just like the potter did. And so it's just a beautiful story of redemption. And there's so many levels of it too, from spiritual redemption, making mistakes. There's so many different examples, but when I'm in the studio, every once in a while, the Holy Spirit will just give me like a little nugget like that, just comparing whatever happens in the studio, whether it goes wrong or right, that's just like our faith. So that's just one example, but there's so many others. I agree. And, and you know, I think another aspect of that that's really important is that everybody makes mistakes, as you said, along their journey of life through even through their journey of faith. And when you talk about that clay being molded and like the air bubbles coming out and being pressed to change the level of water and to kind of purify it as you're working it and kneading it and so on. And starting with the fact that it fell off the wheel and into a clump and wasn't recognizable as anything. And the process starts all over again. And it just made me think about that being encouragement for somebody that may be listening today that if they've fallen off the wheel or if they have struggled and and you know maybe backslid or something like that God wants to take that person and just refresh them, get rid of a little bit of that sin that they were dealing with, or get rid of that addiction or whatever it might be, and remold them into something that could potentially have been even more beautiful the second time it was being molded than the first. Mm, that's a great point. And clay is beautiful in that it can be recycled in that way. Until you fire it, you can just keep reworking it over and over and over again. And again, that's a beautiful example of our lives. You know, we're never just stuck in one place. We can always start again. We can always change paths. Um, it's just listening to God and seeing where he's directing you to go. I think that's so cool that when you're working as an artist with clay and you get to tangibly mold things in light of the Holy Spirit speaking to you through that process. I think that's just incredibly cool. It is really amazing. Sometimes it's almost like, you know, when like one of your parents says something and you're like, oh, I roll like, of course, like sometimes <laughs> there are those moments where I'm like, you're right, Lord. Uh, like, for example, I was preparing for a class. I used to teach a lot more um, private lessons and things, especially during COVID. When everything was shut down, we would just mask up and do a private lesson. But I was getting ready for a class and I was rolling out some clay. And for a big class like that, there's something called a slab roller. And essentially it's giant rollers that are hooked to a table. And so you use a wheel to kind of crank the clay through. And so the idea is you set it to like a relatively wide dimension. You roll the clay through, you tighten it roll it through and you keep tightening it until you get the real thinness of that clay that you're looking for. But I was impatient. I was in a rush. And so I just cranked it to what I wanted that clay to be and just pulled that clay through, forced it through those rollers. And the clay came out like it was supposed to. It was as thin as it was supposed to be. But you could tell it was so wavy from every crank I forced that clay through. And that's a perfect example. At that time, the Holy Spirit said that's exactly what happens 
when you rush my plans. And so I'm just sitting there like, how, you know, like I'm so impatient and I'm just wanting to get this done and I'm thinking this will be faster. And in the end, I'm having to start over and wedge that clay, rework that clay and roll it again the correct way this time. And that's just such a good example for my life. I just want to rush into things, get things done. I originally tried to publish this book, Got the Artist, back in 2019. Again, just rushing into things. And if that had happened, that would have been just the same as that clay. It was not a copy that should have been published. So it's God constantly reminding me of these things in the studio, constantly saying, you know, this is my love for you. This is what I'm trying to show you here. Because when I'm in the studio, I'm the potter and the clay is forming to my will, so to speak. I have the confidence and I have the training and the clay has nothing. It has no opinions. It has no voice to say what it wants. And so I have to look at that in complete role reversal, recognizing that God has the confidence to come into my life and change things. And God has the wisdom to know exactly what needs to be done. And in a sense, I'm just a little lump of clay. I don't know anything. And who am I to have an opinion in front of the almighty God? That's not to say I still do sometimes. And, you know, God has to work on that. But there's just so many examples like that, that God's just constantly comparing and contrasting those two relationships. Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked a little bit about your book. Where can people find it? You can just go to my website. It's probably the quickest place to get all of those good links. And it's just morganmccarver.com. But it's sold anywhere that you buy books. And so pretty much, you know, Barnes & Noble, Target, anywhere you can buy a book online. But it's called God the Artist. And I have all those good links on my website as well. It sounds like an amazing read for sure. So let me ask you one final question. What's the one thing you would tell people about God? I would say that God is so creative. And I think that's something that we don't usually describe God as, as the first thing. We think of his power, we think of his all-knowing nature, but he's also so creative. And that's the first verb ever used in Genesis. When we see God's work for the first time, when we're learning about God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we start learning about our God by learning that he is imaginative and he is a creator God that made all of these things. And then in the same way, he made us in his image. And that's just beautiful because not only is he creative, but he bestowed creativity to each of us because we're all made in his image. So by default, we all have that creative nature to make something out of nothing, whether that is creating a business or something in the arts, organizing a closet. There's so many different ways that we can be creative. And I think that's just so important to remember that God has given us this creativity. And if we're finding joy through that creative process, then God's given us that gift and we're honoring him through that. Amen. Well said. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you and God bless you and all you do for him. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. I still remember when I heard you call me by name. I'd follow you anywhere, knew I could trust you with anything. But now sorrow beats down on me, waiting for you. Come through. I'm all alone with my questions. I'm dry and cracked open. I thirst for you. And as I fall apart, come flood this desert heart. Fall like the rain, living water. 
so out of control Nail scarred hands tell the story of love that will never let go of me Through the sunshine or rain Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.